Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. We are uh, going to continue this series in Philippians today. Philippians chapter 2. The the main passages we're really going to focus on are 19 through 30, but I do want to drop back and catch a little bit of stuff um, there in the the first part of this too so we can kind of see the whole context of it. Um, Before we jump in there, I I do want to say this. You probably noticed that we did some things different with parking today, right? So we're trying to do this for a reason. I want you to understand the why. We're not just trying to make it difficult, right? So the why behind this is that we're trying to get as many people as possible to come through these doors. The reason being that when people are coming both ways, it makes it a lot harder for us to interact with new people. It makes it a lot harder for us to connect with people who maybe have been here a few times. And so the goal of it is that we can better focus on people because we want every single person that walks through the door of this building to be welcome. We want them to know that they are loved. We want them to know that this is a place for them, no matter where they're at in their life, that they are welcome here. And, And so that's the why behind what we're doing. Look, If it doesn't work, we'll change. Here's the thing I would ask. Just don't lose your mind over it, right? Just don't lose your mind over it. And so uh, if it doesn't work, we'll do something different, but we're going to try it, see see if it helps us to connect with people as they come through the doors. Um, And so we'll give it a shot. So we're going to continue in Philippians today, Philippians chapter 2. The letter we're reading written to the Philippians was actually written by the Apostle Paul Um, You can go read about how he started this church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Um, This is a letter he wrote to them while in prison, and he wrote it to encourage them. When you read it, you really hear how much Paul loved these people, loved this church. Um, And so this is the letter we're looking at. And so today, um, we're going to be really looking at how in chapter 2 of Philippians, we see four examples of how we're called to live as a family. The theme of a lot of this that we've been looking at over the last few weeks has been family. And so um, we're going to continue with that thought. Um, and really, it shows us a lot about today. What we're going to see is how we truly live it out as a family, a family that loves each other, a family that doesn't take offense easily, a family that gets over offense, and a family that can live together um, in unity and the love of Christ, even though we're all very imperfect. Uh, so let's just read real quick uh, the first eight verses of Philippians in chapter two. We, we talked about these a few weeks ago. I just want to catch them real quick, and then we're going to jump to some new verses in a minute. So Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when I got into ministry, I got into ministry a little naive, talked about this some in the past, and you kind of get into it. You don't get into it for the money. You get into it because you want to help people, right? Um, And you think because you have a good intention 
that people are just going to love you. And you think everybody's going to like you. And you're like, this is going to be an awesome thing. You're working with God's people because we're God's people. And, and we're lovely people. And we love Jesus. And we love each other. And the world is right. And you get into it and you find out it ain't like that at all. Right? Um, in fact, I would say this. The most draining aspect of ministry, and I was in the roofing business for 10 years. For me, ministry has been much more difficult than roofing. Um, but, but you get into it and you find out pretty quickly that the most draining aspect of ministry is what? Can you guess? People, right? But here's the other side of that coin. The most rewarding aspect of ministry is people, okay? And so you've kind of got this whole love-hate thing, right? It's kind of how it works. There's some people you love, and then there's some people you love even more, right? Some people you try real hard. But I say that because here's the truth of it. We all have people in our life. Right now, we're the church. We're a family of believers, the body of Christ. And yet we all have our own quirks, our own issues, our own things, and it sometimes makes us hard to love. But the Bible calls us to love each other, to live in unity, to display the love of God through our relationships, through the way we love each other, the way we forgive each other. And we realize, though, that that's pretty difficult. As we look at this, man, you think about um, how people are, and sometimes I think we can get to this place where we think it's kind of just our generation. Like it's just this generation, it's just right now. That's not true. You can go to Mark chapter seven and Jesus said this, in his day, people were sexually immoral. They were thieves, they were murderers, they were adulterers, they were greedy, deceitful, lewd, envious, slanderous, arrogant, foolish. And he says it's all because they were broken inside. And so we look at this and people really haven't changed, have they? We're all broken. We're all in need of healing. And somehow we're called to live together in our brokenness in a way that exalts Jesus. We look at it and, and Paul gives us an example in Jesus. He says, this is how you're supposed to do this. He says, have the mind of Christ. He says, he was God, but he didn't consider that something to hold on to. He made himself nothing. He became a servant. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He says, that's the mindset we have to have. That what I desire, my ambitions, all of those things are not worth holding on to. That I become a servant. That I humble myself. That my life is literally given over to serve other people. And that's a lot easier said than done. It goes on and talks about how because Jesus did that, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus. Um, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. He goes on and says that if we'll do things without grumbling, complaining, as we work out our salvation, then we'll shine like stars in the night sky. And then he gets to verse 17 right here. And he says, but even if I, this is Paul speaking, am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now here's another example of the type of life it takes for us to be the church we're called to be. Because here Paul is saying, look, 
even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, the drink offering was just a small part of the sacrifice. And he's saying, even if I'm just the right there, Paul's saying, if I'm just a right there, if that's all I am in service to your faith, he says, that's okay. I'll pour my life out for you. You see this, you see where Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 is talking about all the things he went through in ministry. He said, I worked harder than them all. And talking about the Pharisees and the, the, um, the, the Judaizers who were coming against him. He says, I was in prison more often, flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again, beaten with rods three times, pelted with stones, shipwrecked three times, day and night in the open sea, constantly in danger. I've gone without sleep. I've been without food. I've been cold and naked. And yet when he gets to the end of that, he says this, and this is really powerful. He says, but on top of that is my concern for the churches. He says, the one thing that really causes me anxiety the one thing that really causes me sleepless nights is my concern for you. My concern for the brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who are undergoing all kinds of persecution. He says, that's what really concerns me. More than beating, stoning, shipwrecks, snake bites, all of those things. He says, this is what really keeps me up at night. What incredible love Paul had. How powerfully Jesus is working through him. And basically, Paul is saying, I'm following the example of Christ. Then we get to these other verses in 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And so we come now to the third example. We see Timothy's life. And he says, no one shows concern for you like Timothy. He says, through it all, Timothy's been with me like a father working with his son. He's been through it all. He's proven his love. He's proven his concern. And we see this other example. Basically, he's saying Timothy is living a life that is like that of uh, Philippians 2.4. That he's not living through selfish ambition and vain conceit, but he's considering others better than himself, and he's humbling himself to serve them. That's exactly what he's saying here. And I'll be honest, this challenges me you really begin to try to live a life of service to others, to pour yourself out like a drink offering. And you find out how, how quick your flesh begins to rise up. And he says, yet this is how we, how we do this. We humble ourselves. We let go of our rights. We don't get offended. We humble ourselves and serve others. Then we go to the next one man by the name of Epaphroditus. All week long, I'm typing that name in my notes. I can't tell you how aggravating that was. Verse 25, but I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. 
Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when, we, when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life. That word, the, the, the phrase, it literally means like someone gambling. He's saying he basically gave a, a, gambled on his own life. He rolled the dice with his own life and said, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be the messenger. I'm willing to serve. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so we see this, that Epaphroditus is there and he's living the example of Christ. And so we got in this one little chapter, four examples, Jesus, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, who he says was his brother, was like a brother to him, like family. And see, none of us have, like, you know, you put a puzzle together, you got the box top and you kind of look at that. None of us have a perfect family to look at and go, wow, that's what we're supposed to look like. That's how we work out our differences. Because if we're all honest, we got those people or that person in our family somewhere, right? But this is laying it out. This is how it happens. We humble ourselves. He says he's a co-worker, a co-laborer. He's, he's in the trenches with him. He says he's a soldier. And as Christians, y'all, we're called to fight for each other and alongside each other, not with each other. And we're called to be messengers together of the gospel. And nothing carries the gospel message better than unity, mutual love, forgiveness. So we come to this and see these four examples. And here's where it's easy to go, though. It's easy to say, well, that's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. And as a preacher, people a lot of times, like, I start getting upset about something. I'm getting worked up. They're like, all right now, preacher, what would Jesus do? I'm like, I ain't Jesus. And I'm not, but we're called to be like him, right? We're called to grow in his likeness. And we could easily say, well, I'm not Jesus. I certainly can't live that way. We could look at it and go, I'm not an apostle. I'm not Paul. So does this really apply to me? Am I supposed to live this type of life? Is, isn't this for an apostle? It's easy to look at it and go, well, I'm not Timothy. I'm not like Paul's son I, I i'm not walking with him i'm not in that time in that age we can look at epaphroditus and go look i'm not a, a philippian i'm not a super christian i'm not a superhuman and i would tell you no we're not superhuman but we're called to be supernatural we're called to be a, a body that is supernatural that is empowered by the holy spirit to live differently what's interesting is it with epaphroditus it says that when he finds out that the people back in Philippi heard he was ill, it says that he was distressed because of their concern for him. That word for distressed, if you go all the way back to when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says he was in anguish, it's the same word. And if you remember how much anguish he was in, he was in so much anguish that he began to sweat drops of blood. He was that tense, intense anxious because he knew the arrest was coming and after the arrest the cross he says this is the concern I have for the, the Philippians my brothers and sisters 
And we can say, well, that's just Epaphroditus. But here's the other interesting thing. If you go read 1 Peter 1.22, he tells us to have an earnest love for one another. Love one another earnestly. That word is actually the word that when Jesus was in the garden is translated that he began to earnestly pray. More earnestly, more fervently, he began to pray. And so what Peter is telling us, ordinary Christians, right? Regular old followers of Jesus is love people with the same intensity that Jesus began to pray when he knew he was about to die. When he knew that the the sin of the world was gonna be put on him and he would suffer under the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. It's pretty intense. We look at it and we can be like, well, why is it a big deal? Can't I just come in and go out? Can't I just kind of do my own Christian thing and, and, and not have to be a part of the church? I love Jesus. I just don't love people. And uh, Well, here, here's why it's important. Look at John 13. So Jesus is there and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter. Peter says, no, you're not ever going to wash my feet. Jesus says, you don't understand now, but you will later. Peter says, no, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9, the Lord, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he had said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a teacher greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And we look at this and we realize, here's the first why. Because Jesus said it matters. Like that in and of itself ought to be enough. Jesus says that this matters. In verse 34, he's like, you call me teacher and Lord. And he said, and you're right. He says, and now that I, your teacher, now that I, your Lord, are washing your feet, you should do this for each other. He's like, this is a big deal. This is important. You're not above your master. So serve one another. Jesus humbled himself to the point of washing all of these men's nasty feet. Even the one who would betray him. And yet in the church, so many times we take offense over the least little thing. We've got to become people who are quick to forgive. Quick to move on. Another reason is because it really is the best way to live. It's the best life. In 17, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I'm not talking about live your best life. Now, I'm not talking about Joel Osteen kind of, no, 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 no. This is what I'm talking about. Your best life is walking in the power, presence, and purpose of God. It's not about how many cars are in the garage, how many square feet you got in your house. Am I walking in the power and the presence and the purpose of Jesus? And he says, you'll be blessed. That's God's blessing. We walk in the spirit and serve like Jesus served. 
We find the blessing of God operating in our life, the power, the presence, the purpose of God operating in and through us. Another reason is in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you, so you must love one another. See, he doesn't say, here's a suggestion. Here's a suggestion. It would be really cool if you guys decide to love each other. It's not what he says. He says, here's a command. Here's something I'm challenging you to do. I'm telling you to do this. Love each other. Love each other. Model your love after my love for you. And the last one is, and we know this, that when we love each other in this way, when we get over whatever it is we need to get over, we as the church become a witness to the world that the divine, holy presence of God is living in us. He says, by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's the problem. We're broken people. That's what makes this hard, is we're broken people. We are called to demonstrate the love of God, even the love that's within the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and how they love one another. They're in unity, perfect unity. We're called to demonstrate that to the world, but it's, it's kind of difficult. I, I stole this from my house. I guess that's not stealing, but I don't know if Susan noticed it's gone this morning or not, but this hangs at the bottom of our steps. Let's see if I can do this without tearing something up. This hangs at the bottom of our steps. I don't know if you can't see it, kind of check out the screens. But it says this. It says, in this house, we believe in second chances. We pray. We never give up. We try to do better. We say, I'm sorry. We show respect. We think of others first. We trust in God. We tell the truth. We say, I love you. We are family. Right? How many of y'all got something like this in your house? Something like this. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't it be nice if when you hung that on the wall, everybody just did it? How easy would that be, right? Because I can tell you, that thing's been hanging on our wall since we moved into this house. It don't work like that a whole lot. There's a lot of fighting. There's, you, know, I mean, you get it, right? Wouldn't it just be easy? But it's not easy. It takes effort. It takes work. Paul says we strive for peace. We strain for peace. We do whatever it takes, make every effort to keep the peace because it doesn't come naturally because we're broken. How do we do it? Part of it's there in John 13. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? We look at Jesus and he had all power and he had the platform to do anything he wanted to do. In that upper room, he washed feet. If you want to see what somebody's really made of, you give them power. If you want to see what somebody's really made of, you put them in a situation where they have the opportunity to serve themselves and see who they serve. And yet Jesus washed feet. Jesus went to the cross and gave the greatest sacrifice. We look over um, in John 14. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So one, we understand what Jesus has done for us. 
two, we realize Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, what's he the way to? It's not just to get to heaven. He's the way to the Father. And because of that, we can continually go to God who lavishes his love on us. And here's the thing, if I walk in and rely on God's love and I'm receiving God's love, it makes it so much better because then I can give God's love. But if I'm always looking to take because I'm empty, it's never gonna work out. When I find my value worth, I find affirmation, I find the love that I need in Christ, in his spirit in me, then I can offer it to others. John 15, he gives us another way that we do this. We abide, we cling, we hold on to Christ. We remain in him and the promise is that he'll produce his fruit in us. If you go to Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things that are necessary if we're gonna live together the way we're called to live. And he promises this, if you'll just cling to me, remain in me, hold on to me as I hold on to you, then I will produce my life in you. If you'll read my word, if you'll pray, if you'll get in community with other believers, if you begin to die to yourself to live for me, if you'll walk in my love and rely on my love every day, then that fruit will be produced in your life. He says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. When we see peace, we always think about individual peace. But Jesus also tore down every wall of hostility that exists between us. It's peace with God. It's peace with each other. And he says, I give you this peace. You're going to have trouble. That old lion, he's going to, that, 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 the one that's like a lion is going to prowl around looking for a weakness that he can exploit. But the good news is you belong to the real lion, the lion of Judah. You belong to the king of kings. You belong to the Lord of lords who's overcome everything that you'll ever face. And then in John 17, he prays. And this is the longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus. And he prays and he prays for unity. He prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one so that people would believe that he has sent us. We understand what he did for us. We run to the Father. We rely on and live in his love. We remain in him and he produces his fruit. We walk in peace with God and each other. And we know this can happen because Jesus himself prayed for it. So this is, this is going to sound a little bit strange. But last night, I, as I was asleep, sometime during the night, I don't even know what time it was, um, I had a dream. And in my dream, I don't even know where I was. There was just a few people gathered around. And in my dream, there was this person running around who was small and made me think it was a child like maybe eight, nine, 10 years old, kind of small. And they're running around and they kept coming up to me like they wanted me to hold them, like they wanted me to take them into in my arms and hold them. Almost like you would a baby, but this is like a nine or 10 year old, right? And I can't see them real good. It's, it's kind of blurry at that point, but they keep wanting me to hold them. 
But there was something in me that was like, don't do it. And so I'm kind of pushing away. I'm, I'm kind of pushing away from them. And I'm like, no, no, no. And one thing is like, I'm, you're not my kid. I'm not old and a stranger's kid. But the other part was something just felt off. It felt weird. It felt evil. And I'm pushing it away, pushing it away. And then finally it just kept coming back so many times that finally I remember in my dream, I picked it up and I, I held it like this. But when I looked at his face, it was like a grown man's face with a beard. That's kind of weird, I know, right? But his eyes, it was like evil. And I could see the evil in this, this thing. And as I began to look, it was like it had um, this evil face, part of a body, but its feet and legs were like that of an animal. The, the feet were like hooves. And I realized instantly, like, this is not good. And so I threw it away. And, and, and I remember it just kind of ran off. Weird, I know. I promise I didn't do anything crazy last night. I ate some cauliflower pizza. I think that's about the worst. You know, I don't know. if I, I won't do that again. <laughs> but as I woke up, man, like, I had this, this, this evil feeling. It was like, I mean, I literally, it was one of those dreams that you have and then you wake up and you're like, oh, thank God, that was a dream. But it was just this feeling like evil. And it made me start thinking in the middle of the night, I started praying over my family. I started praying over our church. I started praying over everything because it made me remember like the enemy wants to come after us. And he keeps coming to us. And sometimes it says he'll even hide himself as, as like an angel of light. He'll, he'll come to us as something that's good. And until we pick him up and, and we accept what he's offering, we don't realize it's evil. And in the church, so many times, he keeps throwing these little things at us and we keep taking on these offenses. And pretty soon the enemy's driven a schism between us. In our own life, you know, we can be walking good with the Lord and all of a sudden these little things keep coming back and pretty soon I veer off path. And I cradle him and I take in what he's offering. But it's evil. And it doesn't do for us what we thought. And here's the thing I realized today, y'all. There's a lot of us in this room right now. We need to push that away. The Bible says that if we resist the enemy, that, that he'll flee from us. If we'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. And, and for some of us, we've allowed things into our life that are causing trouble. It's causing trouble in our relationships within the church. It's causing trouble in our relationships at home, at work, at school. Um, and we need to push some things away. We need to let go of some things. We need to die to some things. We need to get rid of some offenses. We need to ask God to give us the ability to forgive, to give us the grace that would be sufficient to help us in our time of need. We need to begin to do that. Push it away. Don't just accept what the enemy gives you. We're called to be examples of Christ. We're called to be a family. And anytime God begins to move in his family, the enemy comes hard. Don't be blindsided. You need to put on the armor of God. You need to have the sword of the spirit. You need to have the shield of faith. You need to have the helmet of salvation. You need to guard your mind with truth. Guard your heart with truth. Don't give in. We're called to something too big to let him divide, to let him hinder. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And here's what's awesome about communion. Is it was in that 
upper room at the Last Supper where Jesus told them, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he broke the bread. He gave them the bread. Paul recounts this as he, Jesus gave them that juice. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. When we come to the communion table, we have the bread that represents the body of Jesus, that body that hung on a cross and took the sin of the world. We've got the blood of Jesus that was shed for our forgiveness, symbolizing the sacrifice that he made so we could be forgiven. There's something else that it represents though. In representing his body, it represents us, that we're all one, that we together are his body. And it tells us to come and do this in remembrance. And so I wanna encourage you today that as you come, you remember. I want you to take a moment you to examine your heart. Then you can come as you will. Examine your heart. What is it we need to push away? What is it that God wants to bring in? Let's take a moment. Father, I thank you that we are one body. Lord, would you work in our hearts today? Reveal to us things that need to be pushed away. And let, our heart t- let us turn our hearts to you. Lord, would you give us that grace? In Jesus' name. You can come as you will. There's gluten-free over here to my left, to your right also.